Today in the PodMD studio, we're speaking with uh, Mr. Michael Hong. Michael is a colorectal surgeon who consults at the Wyndham Specialist Care Centre in Werribee and operates at St. Vincent's Private Hospital in Werribee uh, and St. Vincent's Private in Fitzroy uh, and the Western Private Hospital. We do hope you enjoy this podcast, but please do remember that the advice given here is of a general nature and is not intended as specific advice about any given patient. If you do have a patient on whom you require specific advice, then please seek that advice from a colleague with appropriate expertise. Michael, thank you very much for coming into the PodMD studio today. Thanks, Sean. It's good to be here. Michael, diverticulosis and diverticulitis obviously represent a big topic. We've made several podcasts around the broader topic uh, to try to break it down into easily understood pieces. Uh, Today we're going to speak about the presentation and diagnosis of diverticulitis. Can you give us your thoughts on this topic, please? So acute diverticulitis is a relatively common condition, basically when their diverticular become inflamed in the colon. And in a year, if you look at a major metropolitan hospital in Melbourne, there's about 100 admissions a year. So that's sort of roughly one every three days. It's a condition that's sort of difficult to define. It's difficult to study, and it's not that well understood. In fact, we know less about now than we did probably 20 or 30 years ago, it was far more definite on, you know, more of its causes and presentations and things, um, you know, a long time ago. We're less certain these days. And part of the problem is there is a broad spectrum of presentations. That is why it's difficult to define, study and understand. So what are the ways in which acute diverticulitis may actually present? So typically it's that severe left dilate faucet pain. And that's, that's what sort of what we're taught and what we see. But it's not actually the only way it presents. So sometimes the pain is suprapubic. Sometimes the pain is in the right of the fossa. And it can actually be confused with appendicitis clinically. And, I mean, the main reason for this is to signal what colon's mobile. So it kind of moves around. And that makes it a little bit difficult sometimes to actually work out that that is the cause of the patient's problems. There can be some nausea and vomiting. But, again, that's, this is variable. Rectal bleeding, that is extremely uncommon in the setting of acute diverticulitis. And in fact, if one does get the severe abdominal pain with the, uh, with the rectal bleeding, even with some diarrhea, then one actually needs to think about colitis. And these are conditions that are often mixed up. With diverticular bleeding, well, that's usually a painless condition with no inflammation. And this is another thing that's uh, often confused. With acute diverticulitis, the presence of fever, that is quite uncommon. And in fact, if one is seeing fever, then either they have a bacteremia present or they've actually got a complicated diverticulitis. And so that, that old tri- uh, triad of you know severe left dilated faucet pain, fever and a high white cell count, we don't actually see that you know all three of those all that often. In fact, we don't often see um, more than one of them. When it comes to sort of thinking about acute diverticulitis and the ways that it presents, there are a lot of classification systems. But the most useful one by far is just the clinical one, and that is uncomplicated versus complicated diverticulitis. Basically, is there a presence of a complicated diverticulitis? Is there perforation? Is there abscess? Or really, is there a stricture, a diverticular stricture? But the presentation for stricture is usually obstruction rather than inflammation. So the symptoms of diverticulitis can be quite nonspecific. So how do we make the diagnosis? 
the only way really that one knows is with a CT scan. That and the consistent symptoms. I mean, the sy symptoms just have to be consistent with acute diverticulitis rather than, say, colitis or, or you know, something else. But what a CT scan does is more than just, uh, you know, diagnose the condition. It just confirms that and documents that, yes, this is the cause of the patient's problem, that this is an attack of acute diverticulitis. You know, rather than you have patients with not very non-specific abdominal pain, if you don't see any evidence on the CT scan, that you don't truly know what has caused the patient's abdominal pain. That's the main reason we do CT scans. The other main reason is to actually differentiate uncomplicated from complicated diverticulitis. So on the CT scan, there needs to be you know, pericolic stranding in addition to sort of bowel wall thickening, and that will tell us that it's acute diverticulitis, but then we see evidence of extraluminal gas or or we see uh, you know, an air fluid level outside of the bowel, and then we know that there's an abscess. Uh, the, other main, the other thing we also do it for is sometimes it's very difficult to distinguish acute diverticulitis from cancer, and this can be difficult on the CT scan as well. So, Michael, how do you make that differentiation between acute diverticulitis and cancer? A skilled radiologist can actually tell you the probabilities. They see enlarged mesenteric nodes that would suggest that it's cancer. If there's sort of eccentric rather than concentric bowel wall thickening, then again, that could be a cancer. If it's a short segment versus a long segment, again, that's more likely to point towards cancer. And of course, one can actually see the diverticulosis on the scan uh, with all that, with the information around, uh, around it and so forth. But the only way to really know is, is that colonoscopy. To, and the colonoscopy that we see often booked six weeks after an attack of acute diverticulitis, that's really not to show that there's diverticular disease or not. I mean, it will confirm it. But it's really to just disprove that there's a cancer there. And so if a patient has prolonged GI symptoms, including ongoing PR bleeding, then that becomes a, this investigation becomes really important after the patient's had acute diverticulitis, obviously managed non-operatively. So with acute, sorry, with uncomplicated diverticulitis, that's actually become controversial. And a large meta-analysis came out of, of uh, New Zealand quite recently. And that, what that demonstrates that what is the rate of cancer pickup after, doing, after acute diverticulitis on colonoscopy? With uncomplicated diverticulitis, it's actually no different to population risk. And so we may actually see this become less routine in the near future. It hasn't sort of taken hold yet, but it may in the future. With complicated diverticulitis, well, that's actually quite routine uh, to do a colonoscopy in that six, uh, six weeks afterwards, and that's really because the risk of malignancy is about 10%. It's really uh, much higher than uncomplicated diverticulitis. That's a significant cancer risk, isn't it? Um, thanks for um, explaining that to us. Michael, could you sum up with your take-home message uh, for our PodMD listeners? Really, I think the take-home message is just understand the uncomplicated versus complicated diverticulitis. And, you know, we need a CT scan to sort that out, differentiate it, not just to diagnose, but to differentiate that un uncomplicated from complicated diverticulitis because there are treatment implications. And also it actually just documents that attack, that that was acute diverticulitis that has caused the patient's symptoms. And finally, cancer can mas masquerade as diverticulitis. And the colonoscopy six weeks afterwards is really 
just to rule out the fact that this might be cancer. Uh, well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. That was a really interesting podcast on the presentation of diverticulitis. Thanks for having me.